This is the final sermon of 2014 at Redeemer King Church. Some of you will be happy about that. But it's really exciting, actually, that from 2015, we're not going to be in here anymore. I, when Carl said that, I didn't sense a great deal of excitement. But I'm massively excited. We'll be in the room that we had for our carol service, which means there's more space for people, less chaos. It'll be fantastic. But to finish 2014, I thought it's only right, four days before Christmas, that we kind of touch upon and look at the Christmas story a little bit. Because Carl already hinted at it a little bit, but actually, we can become over-familiar with the story. We actually take things for granted, but we don't actually understand precisely what's being said. I mean, take uh, the Christmas story, the nativity at school, that no doubt you all had roles in. Anybody want to take a guess at what I was? Every year in my Christmas nativity. I wasn't a donkey, no. I didn't really think this through, did I? I no, I was an angel for my ravishing good looks. And back then I had blonde hair as well. So I was kind of, you know, profiled. Blonde hair. Beard. Definite angel. But if you've seen today in, in nativities, the cast list has grown somewhat. You have the usual suspects, there's always a Mary, there's always a Joseph, there's always a baby Jesus, angels, shepherds. Then someone is normally a cow, there's a sheep, there's a donkey, the Christmas lobster, yeah? I even heard recently, uh, a friend of mine posted on social media, that his daughter had been a bell in the Christmas nativity. Now, quite what she was signalling or what she was doing, I don't know, but they seem to make parts for everybody. Now, my kind of thought is, if you're not very good at drama, don't have a part, just watch. Right? It's a little bit like sport. If you're rubbish, don't play. I'm like, oh, I'm a bit too close to the line. I like to win, you see. Don't kiss anybody new. So, and drama, if you're not good at drama, I'm not a very good actor. I once played King Herod when I was 18. I wasn't very good. I won't do it again. Not everybody needs to have a part, because if everyone has a part, we start thinking that the donkey was definitely there. That somehow there was a bell at the nativity, and that the cow had a really important part to play. And actually what we do is we, we take the nativity story that we see the children doing wonderfully, and we say, that's the Christmas story. And we don't actually read what it says in our Bible. In fact, we're told, actually, we're not told if any animals were present at all. Let alone a donkey, a sheep. Uh, I mean, we've got to presume there might have been some sheep knocking about because they were shepherds. But we're not told, just like we're not told how many wise men there were. But it's always part of the story, isn't it? Always in the story, baby Jesus is wonderfully peaceful. He's a baby. He's going to cry. He's going to make noise. I mean, I can, I can say this because I've got, I don't know how old he is. It all blurs into 12 days. They cry all the time. That's what they do. The story actually is gritty. If you think about it, it's really down to earth. It's really messy in one sense. It's the real story, the real telling of the eternal son of God becoming a man. Leaving his glory in heaven and entering into humanity. And I just want to read to you these verses from Matthew chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, that's where we'll turn to. Matthew and uh, Luke, the two places where it's recorded down for us. And in uh, Matthew chapter 1, I'm just going to read from, this is uh, the account of his birth and the, the little bit before that. So Matthew 1 verse, if I can find it, verse 18 to 25. 
Here we go. It says this. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. I mean, we can, we can lose it a little bit here, but that's pretty miraculous, isn't it? It's pretty amazing, actually, that the eternal second person of the Trinity would become a baby. If you actually stop and think about it, it's pretty mind-blowing. I mean, as I said, I've got 12 day old son, you look at a baby, it's incredible, like the level of detail, the level of, I mean, it, we grow up and we look like we do now, but when we're born and that, that's how they come out, and it's, it's just incredible actually, I mean, birth is incredible, isn't it, let alone a virgin birth, babies are pretty amazing, now, I'm not being a bit mushy there, but it is an incredible thing, but what's more incredible is that the eternal Son of God is born. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Joseph is not the biological father of this child. God is. When Mary is a bit mystified, understandably, about being pregnant, she's a bit confused because her and her husband, have, well, her and her betrothed, haven't uh, got together. Gabriel says this, recorded in Luke chapter 1. He says to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. So not only is it an amazing miracle, a virgin birth, but in one sense, Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is born. Now, I don't know if you've thought about that before. He hasn't got a birthday before then. He's eternal. He's always been. And yet he enters into time and space and is born, has a starting weight, has a date of birth, has fingers, has toes, has all the other things that babies have. It's massively humbling, actually, that the king of all creation would become something so fragile and would go to such lengths for you and me. Now, you think of miracles, people, if we talk about miracles, a virgin birth is up there, isn't it? It's pretty spectacular. When we think of miracles, we might think of somebody being healed, which is fantastic. Or Jesus raising people from the dead, which again is incredible. Or uh, Jesus himself being raised. But we see in scripture, we see multiple healings. We hear of stories of healings today. The, the dead were raised in Jesus' day, and you hear stories of the dead being raised today as well. But I don't hear many stories of virgin births. I don't hear many stories of God entering into humanity in any other way than this 2,000 years ago. Apparently in the United States, this kind of figures that it's the USA, but one in 200 women claim after conceiving a child to have done it without sex. One in 200. 
claim to be having a virgin birth. I mean, it's impressive in one sense. I mean, it explains a lot about that population, I think. I'm going to take a risk here and say at least one in 200 American women are liars. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing. And the bad liars are that, actually. Could these come up to it a little more convincing? Whoever's going to buy that, I don't know. Nothing actually compares to what we see and what we read in the biblical account. And it should, you know, at Christmas time, when we think of everything that's going on, just remembering that Jesus was born as a baby should leave us in a state of awe and wonder. We should be in awe of who God is and what he's done, actually. And so often we just pass it off like everything else. But it's incredible that God would be born like us. And for us. Before we consider quickly, I want to consider at Christmas time some of the reasons for God becoming man. And I'll fly through them. It's really important that we understand that at the same time, God was both fully, Jesus was both fully God and fully man. He's not a transformer where, you know, on a Tuesday he's just God and then on a Wednesday he's back into his humanity. He's both at the same time. And it's actually really important that Jesus came as both fully man and fully God. Because God could have saved us any way that he wanted in one sense. He could have just stayed in the heavens and said, yes, well, you guys can come to me. Or he could have done any number of things. But the fact that he sent his one and only son as a human being is very important for us. So I just want to fly through some of the reasons. And I'll use scripture to kind of uh, justify the points and make them too. Because I want the Bible to kind of share from itself why Jesus came as both man and God. So the first thing to say is that he came to save us. That's why Christmas is so amazing that it speaks of God entering into time and space for us and saving. Matthew 1, 21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Why are we going to call him Jesus? You might think. For he will save his people from their sins. Before he's even born, that's the proclamation over his life. And that's not just that. You read the Old Testament, there's prophecy after prophecy that there will be a promised Messiah who's going to come to save his people. You see, if Jesus had not been both fully God and fully man, he could not save you from your sin. Do we realise that? Couldn't save us. It's the fact that he's both that means he can. Because we need a rescuer. We need someone to redeem us because we've messed up. You see, if Jesus wasn't God, then there'd be nothing different about him to us. Someone else who's human cannot save you. It's like, uh, we, we might say, well, okay... Um, it's just like me being the hero. If Jesus was just fully man and he wasn't fully God, we could just say it about anybody. Oh, Daniel, you can save us this Christmas time because you're fully man. It doesn't work, does it? He has to be both fully God and fully man. Hebrews 2 says this, For surely it's not the angels that he helps. Jesus hasn't come to help them. But he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. In non-complex language, it says Jesus didn't come to earth to save the angels. What the author of Hebrews is saying is he's come to earth to save you and me. And in order to do that, he had to be like you and me in every respect. He didn't just look human. He was human. And in doing so... 
in, in becoming human, he could appease God. He could right all the wrongs. So for all our wrongs, Jesus could right them for us. And that's what he does upon the cross, which is why we should always link what happens at Christmas to what happens at Easter. We shouldn't ever separate the two if we're considering why did he come. Well, he came to save us. He came to deliver us. That's why we celebrate at Christmas, isn't it? We're celebrating new life because actually we can have new life too if we put our trust in him. You see, Jesus actually ultimately comes to spare us hell. I know that doesn't sound like a cheery thing to say at Christmas, but it's true. He came to spare us hell and to give us heaven. Had he not come as a baby boy, we would all be on, you know, we wouldn't be going the right way. If you were trusting in me for salvation, you're going the wrong way. But if we trust in Jesus to save us, we can be with him forever. So the virgin birth, Jesus coming as God, as the God-man, is really important. Without it... Without the incarnation, which is the theological term for a deity becoming and entering into human likeness, without that moment in history, we can't be saved. So we don't just skip over it, we don't put all the attention on the donkey at Christmas. It's about Jesus. And it's through his work on the cross that we're saved. The second reason, I mean there's loads of reasons, so I'm not going to do 50 because we'll be here all day. But I've just got four, so this is number two, is to represent. Part of his saving work for us is representing us as humanity. In one sense, Jesus is the very best of us. And actually, he takes the worst of us to save us. Romans 5 says this, Therefore, as one act of trespass, and what, what Paul means there is he's talking about Adam in the Garden of Eden, one act of trespass, one act of disobedience towards God, led to condemnation for all men. So one act of righteousness, talking about Jesus, leads to justification and life for all men. For by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. What Paul says is, well, we're all sinful. We've all rejected God. Every single human being ever has done. So it's not like it's just you. It's you and everybody else have rejected God. Because we've been disobedient. And what Paul says is, but... There's one who's come who's been obedient. There's one who's come who's got it right. There's one who's lived a completely sinless life. Jesus represents humanity and is the very best that we could ever be. He can't do that if he's not human. He wouldn't be representing us at all, would he? If he wasn't fully God, fully human. And he obeys where we failed to obey. This is why I want you to think at Christmas time how amazing God's grace is towards us. How good God is to each of us. Like me, you won't get everything right. We're not perfect. We make mistakes. We disobey. And we commit, as Christians, if you're a Christian, you commit to living a holy life, to try and be like Jesus. But that doesn't mean we live an illusion that we're wonderful people. An illusion that we always get things right. We don't have to live up to some hype like we're awesome. Instead, what we do is we kind of, I mean, it's not overhyped at all, actually, is it? But we, we make much of Jesus instead because he's the one who obeyed for us. So not only does he save us, but he represents us to God the Father as well. And says, actually, no, they're with me. And he's the best of us. He's our pattern for life. That's the third thing. Even though we fail, we're not supposed to just give up trying to lead godly lives, are we? 
It's always said, I don't know from when you were a real nipper, it's always said, be like Jesus. Or what would Jesus do in this situation? And it's another reason that's really important that God entered into uh, humanity in the person of Jesus. We're to follow after him. And we can follow after him, can't we? If he's like us. If he's the perfect model of what it's like to live a godly and holy life, we can actually attain to that. We can look to him and follow after him. 1 John 2 says this, And by this we know that we have come to know him, speaking of Jesus, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That's what we're told in scripture, to walk in the same way as Jesus walked. That's the crucial line for us right at the end there of 1 John 2. What does that look like for us, do you think? I think it looks like godly living. The kind of stuff that we've talked about as we've been going through Acts a little bit. Some of the values that we'll speak of of being a part of a community. Things that you read in Romans 12, things that you read in Galatians chapter 5. What it means to walk after Jesus is to be loving, is to be gracious, is to be kind, is to be generous, is to be humble, is to hold fast to the good, is to rejoice in hope, to live in harmony with one another, to pray without ceasing, to ask for God's help, to pray for the sick, to stand side by side together. That's what it means to walk like Christ. Our goal in life, I believe, should be to bring glory to God in telling the world about Jesus. But we don't just do that with our lips, do we? We do that with the way we conduct our lives. How we walk as Jesus walked. And I think the overriding way that we do that is to show grace and forgiveness. Because it's so countercultural. People don't show grace. People don't show forgiveness. People don't show love. But Jesus did for you and Jesus did for me. And that's how we actually follow after him best as well. We can do all the other stuff community, loving one another, and I think forgiveness and grace are essential to those things, we can't lift them out of it, we should show forgiveness and grace to others just as he's shown it to us, a good prayer this Christmas time for you might be this, may I show to the people around me the grace and mercy that's been shown to me by Jesus Christ, isn't that a good prayer, that you might show the grace and mercy that's been shown to you this Christmas time. Fourth thing and last thing I want to talk about is that he's our mediator. That's why it's important that he came as a fully man and fully God. You see, when humanity, when you and I fell into sin, into rebellion, we rejected God, the connection with God was broken. All of a sudden, we're all the way over there and God's all the way over here. And in order for that to change, we can't just simply walk to God. God can't just simply walk to us because sin was causing a barrier. And so what Jesus does, what God-man does, is he steps into the breach. Jesus came and represented humanity perfectly to the Father. So when he stands in the middle and, he, and the Father's there, he says, well, I'm representing humanity. So if we're trusting in Jesus, actually, we put our faith in him. Jesus represents you and represents me. There's a lack of sin, there's perfection. 
And it means that we can have a relationship with God again. But we can't have a relationship with God again apart from Jesus. That's why it's so important he came as a baby. And then lived this life where he didn't sin. Jesus mediates the massive gap that there is between God and mankind. But it works the other way as well. God was far off. God was out of sight. We didn't know what God was like. And then Jesus turns up. And Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So not only does he represent humanity perfectly, but he represents God perfectly. So that we can see what God's like. So that when we look at Jesus, we know God is love. God is kind. God is gracious. God is compassionate. God loves me because he came for me in the person of Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5 says this, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You see, part of his role in mediating and appeasing is representing us. And part of that is in our prayer. He intercedes for us, which means Jesus speaks on our behalf to the Father. Prayer is so important, isn't it? The way it's our method of communication to God. And the fact that we've seen Jesus means that when we pray, when we pray to Jesus, that Jesus hears us and that God answers our prayer. I want to share a little story with you that probably won't be known to maybe one or two because I shared it on Thursday. And I'll cut it short a little bit, but we received an email just in my last week through RedeemerKing.com, the website. I encourage you to go and look at it and you know, play around on the website, it's cool. Um, and it was from this lady that I've never heard of. And she lives in Devon now, or something. Anyway, it turns out that when I was six or seven and a delightful child, that she taught me Sunday school. Uh, but obviously I have no recollection of her at all. Um, so, back in Lancashire, she taught me Sunday school in the 90s. And it turns out, and I don't know when this was, whether this was in the 2000s or it was pre-early 90s, but she used to live in Eam. And her next door neighbour, she grew up as she was... Um, or, or she was at home with the family. Um, her next door neighbour was a committed Christian, and she worked at Newbold School. Now, whether that was here in its present location or its old location, I think it's by the barn. But that's where she worked. And this woman, what she would do is every morning she would leave the school early, and she would pray, and she would walk around the campus, she would walk around the school, she would walk around all the facilities, and she would pray for, in tongues and not in tongues, she would pray for the school, the staff, the community, and she would pray that they would come into a relationship with Jesus. And she would do this every single day, Monday to Friday, for the 20 odd years or however long she taught for at the school. She would be praying, praying, praying to see change. And this woman, uh, out of the blue, emailed me this week to tell me the story, to encourage us that a lot of prayer has gone into not only this school but this community. That people have been praying for there to be an impact, praying for people to meet Jesus for years and years and years and years. And you know what this woman said in the email to me? She said, if only this woman who had prayed and prayed and prayed would know that there was now a, a church meeting in the school she prayed on. It's amazing, isn't it? Now this woman now um, has Alzheimer's and so probably won't remember that she prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. But one day, I'm looking forward to when I see her in glory, and I can tell that we planted the church. And we met in the school that we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for. Every day. 
Isn't that amazing? She's an unsung hero. Why? Because she prayed. Why? Because she kept asking God. She didn't see immediate fruit. She didn't see things change necessarily in her own lifetime. But she never stopped ceasing. She never stopped asking the God-man for help. Even if her situation was bleak. And I think she serves as an inspiration for us. And an inspiration for us as a church going forward into 2015. We can't stop praying. We can't stop asking for God's help in meeting the needs of this community. We can't stop asking for God to break in and see people added to his kingdom. Because you know what? Whether it's now or whether it's in 20, 30, 40 years, I don't know. But there will be a harvest. There will be people that put their faith in Jesus Christ. If only we would pray. If only we would seek Jesus. If only we would ask for his help. We have a mediator. We have someone that came for us as a little baby to help us. To be honest, I could go on and on and on and on about the incarnation. About the fact that God would become man. He would become like us so that he could save us. And a lot of it, if you think about it, if you think too much about it, it's a bit mysterious. It kind of leaves you going, wow, how does that work? And you try and work it out, and it, it's just unfathomable in some sense. And we don't know all the answers, but we can know this. God became a man for you. That's what it's for. That's what it's about this Christmas. He came for you to save you because he loves you. That's why Christmas, that's why celebrating is such a joy. Because it's the expression of God's love for us. We have a doubt, we can't ever doubt the love of God. We say this about the cross, don't we? When we see Jesus going through that pain for us. But he became a baby for us. The eternal son, second person of the Trinity, became a human. It's a bit of a step down. From being the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, isn't it? But he did it for you and me, to save us, to represent us, to be our example, to mediate for us. He's not just a baby in a manger. He's the game changer for all history. When Jesus drew his first breath on earth, it changed everything. My final question and challenge of 2014 is, as Jesus drew his first breath and it would change everything, will you let Jesus change your eternal destiny? Lord, we just thank you for what we read in scripture, that you came for us to save us, to rescue us. We were so far off, we were so lost, and yet you came as one of us, but you're the best of us. And we thank you this Christmas time as we are going to celebrate as family and friends this festive period, and we'll love it and it'll be fantastic. Let us not forget the real reason. Let us remember the real reason for celebration is that Jesus, you came. And that by trusting in you, we can have new life. Lord, we want to pray just as that woman prayed for this school and pray for this community and our town. And that many people would put their trust in Jesus. And that, Lord, you would help us to be, uh, to uh, model our lives after you. That you're our pattern and example that we would be like Jesus, that we would be loving and gracious and forgiving. And help us to show that this Christmas time to those that we encounter. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.